Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Staple. Don't forget, we will very soon be separating the three shows on Hype Radio, so you will have to go and individually subscribe to those shows that you want to listen to. So search and subscribe right now to The HBR Show and Soundcheck on Hype Beast Radio or Hype Radio to keep listening. Do it now so you don't miss any episodes. Okay, let's get into this week's show. Yeah, the guys from Supreme are in town, so I met, I met them. Oh, okay. All right, cool. Because they're finally opening a store. Yes. <laughs> After, like, I, I've, been looking, I've been looking with them because my best friend is, like, the brand manager there. Mm-hmm. So they, I've been looking with them for spaces for 10 years now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they take their time, huh? They take their time. And they're the only reason I have a store. What do you mean? Because my, my first retail location was around the corner in the mm-hmm. side street, and I was just... I had all these boxes from, you know, product I was making, and my wife was like, "You got to get this stuff out of your house." Like it was overtaken the living room, the dining room, my like home office. Yeah, and this is your inventory. My inventory. Okay. This was like, two thousand and nine or eight or something, you mm-hmm. know, because I was starting getting big orders. My first big orders were like, you know, Zoomies, and um, Active Ride Shop, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I had like, you know, a big order for me was like twenty five thousand dollars at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and, but that inventory took up my whole apartment. Yeah. And she, she was like, you got to get this out of here. So I w- was walking my dog to get coffee one morning, and there was like a sign on this Art Deco building that I loved. It said for rent. Mm-hmm. So I rented it, and I was working out of it. And then the Supreme guys hit me up. They're like, hey, we're coming to San We're, we're going to be in San Francisco. We're looking at spaces. And I heard you have a space, so I just want to check it out. And I said, all right. And we, so we met him lunch, and he's and he like, what are you doing with this space? And I was like, we're just working out of it. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and, he's, and James was like, what are you what do you mean you work? And I was like, I'll open up for like a pop-up when I, when I release something. And he's like, that's a horrible idea. James Jebbia? Yeah. He's like, that's the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, thanks, James. I'll get the hell out of my city. <laughs> no, I was like, no. I was like what? what do you mean? Yeah. And, and, uh, and he was like, if I'm a fan and I came to, came to SF and it was one of those times you were closed, I'd be so bummed. Yeah. You know? And point, it, yeah, point taken. And then, he, and then he left and he said, all right, don't tell anyone I'm here. And mm-hmm. he left. And then I was like, shit, if I should listen to anybody, I should listen to him. Yeah. So then I called a contractor and, and built out the first space. That's and, an awesome story. Yeah, and it's all his fault. Yeah, right. <laughs> and now I'm, on de- I'm in debt and three, three spaces later. And I've, I've been well, that's the sidetrack, right? He like helped get you on that sidetrack that we talked yeah, about. Yeah, helped the sidetrack. It was him and Eddie Cruz. <laughs> wow, this is a long time ago. Yeah. Damn. So the, the guy who's uh, manning the, um, the manager of the SF Supreme, is he a local or is he from New York? No, he, does, he doesn't manage the SF store yet. They haven't, they haven't figured it out. He's, he's like brand manager. He opens all their stores. Okay, and, gotcha. And keeps the brand on track. Gotcha. And he was my best friend when we all moved here for skateboarding in the 90s. Okay. He lived down the street. And he's actually... So he's from SF? No, he's from upstate New York. Oh, okay. But he is a connector. Like, I, I want to do... An article on him or something, but he won't let me because he because he said he, his phone already blows up too much. Yeah, but he's the guy. He always he puts people together. Uh huh. So he's he's the only reason I designed the original Huff logo and mm-hmm. even got into streetwear. Really? Yeah. Because me and him were like, you know, really good friends through skateboarding and everything. Uh-huh. And I was designing like his flyers for his DJ nights or whatever. He was. He always had a hustle. He wasn't a DJ. Yeah. But he always had a hustle. Like he was like I would have a night. And, and, everyone, and get everyone, everyone to pay for it. Right. And I'll design the flyers for it. Gotcha. 
And he lives in New York? He lives in New York now, but he was here at the time. So he's like a no, like no one knows undercover mastermind of what's going on. Big time. Really? Yeah. He's awesome. Wow. I need to do a business pipe interview with him. He would never let you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, to- I told him I want to pitch a, a hypebeast article about him. And he's, he's like, please don't. Yeah. I think, it, I mean, that's kind of like the beauty of Supreme, right? It's like this, you, you have the red box, but then behind it, there's all this like nebulous stuff that you don't yes. really know what's going on back there. Yes. Yeah. Pretty wild. Yeah. From Hypebeast and Hype Radio, I am Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. Don't ever complain that it's too hard to get started, because at any given moment, you can pack up and chase your dreams. This week's guest is based on the foundation of hard work. That much is for sure. But it's also rooted in the willingness to act on an impulse, pursue a dream, and leave a life behind. Life is a journey. You get to live it once. And it never makes sense to me when I hear people leaving their dreams behind. And for this young skater, his dream started the day after college ended when he spontaneously got in a car and drove cross country. I can't wait to share with you how our guest this week would eventually build a legacy and a dream and become the one and only Benny Gold. My name is Benny Gold. I'm a San Francisco-based designer, Terrence Signature Clothing Label, all on accident. Okay. Accidental designer. No. Designer on purpose. I went to college for that. (laughs) And then I got sidetracked and turned into a brand. How long have you been sidetracked for? 15 years now. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm in that sidetrack also. It is a sidetrack, isn't it? It's a sidetrack. You start with like a personal project uh-huh. and you're getting excited about it and then it kind of takes over the work, your other work. Yeah. And then one day you wake up and you're like, shit, I have a store full of product and people to <laughs> employees. And Well, let's, let's unravel that a little bit. So you start, you were in college. Which college did you go to? I went to Savannah College of Art and Design in okay. Savannah, Georgia. All right. And majoring in? Graphic design. Okay. Leading up to that, were you already very, very artistic growing up? Yeah, through skateboarding. I mean, and I was a kid in school that drew your favorite superhero on your notebook for you. And then when I got into skateboarding, I was recreating all the graphics I wanted on my grip tape. Mm-hmm. And then I was graduating high school, and all I did was skateboard, and I was trying to figure out how to get to California. Yeah. And my parents asked me what I'm doing you know, after I graduate, and I was like, I'm moving to California. Mm-hmm. And they're like, like, shit, you are. You better get your ass to college. So, so I was like, I guess I like to draw. I'll go to, I'll go to art school. Uh-huh. And I went to this like rinky-dink little art school in Miami for that was only a two-year program just to get them off my back. And then I, I figured like I'll just get them off my back, and then I'll then I'll make it to California. Mm-hmm. And then I went to college and really fell in love with design and art. So I transferred to the to the best school I could find, and that was SCAD. Yeah, that's a good school. It's really good. Okay, so you graduate SCAD. Yeah. And then your parents are like, fine, you could go anywhere in the world you want now. Well, no, they're expecting me to move to New York to, be, to live with like, their aunts and uncles and that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then this kid, the day after graduation, I ran into this guy named Dusty. That w- he was an illustration major, and, and he's like, I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm driving to California tomorrow. I'm like, oh, man, that's cool. And I went home, and I'm like, you know what? Shit, I'm going with you. And I like, left my apartment as is, grabbed my, my portfolio and my skateboard and a bag of clothes, and I jumped in the car. 
and road trip across America. Road trip across. And the, and the only problem is that the kid is from Texas, uh-huh. and he felt sentimentally wanted to say goodbye to every relative he had in Texas, so I spent almost a month in Texas. <laughs> You're like, fine, I'll come, I'll yeah. come along for that. Like every little town in Texas, we were like saying goodbye to like- That's kind of dope though. Third distant cousins. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, just get me to California already. <laughs> right, right. All right, so um, you graduate, you get to California, right? Yeah. And did you ever get a job as a working graphic designer? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. In my first job, I was an intern at Pentagram Design, which is like the largest design firm in the country, yes. or in the world, actually. Yeah. And I was an intern, you know, and I was so nervous. I was working under like Kit Henricks, which is like guy, the, guys I read, the guy I read about in college you yeah. know, and studied. And he would sit behind my desk and tell me to move stuff around. Mm-hmm. And I was so nervous, like hands sweating, you know, and like. <laughs> <laughs> like these are people you study in school and now they're like your boss. Yes. Yeah. I was wild. I couldn't believe it. And I was like an intern, so I was like working on things, doing, I did a lot of clipping pass. Mm-hmm. I'd take his car to go get clean type of stuff. Yeah. And then as my internship ended, he, he got me a job down the street at a branding firm called Cook Sherman. Okay. And that's, what, what did you do there? Like logos and stuff? Yeah, I was a, I was a junior designer and I was doing logos for Kodak, the Metreon. I mean, every, every startup that was coming up because like, mm-hmm. it was during the dot-com boom yeah so any like new startup we were doing their logos right and so you're working this day job and you're still skating a lot I bet yeah not, not as much as I would love to but yeah but I was skating at night and on the weekends with friends and then going going into the office and staying till one in the morning doing mock-ups for client presentations wow yeah doing like annual reports and that kind of it was like <laughs> yeah we're um was there ever a time where you thought you could be a pro skateboarder or were you a pro skateboarder? No. No? Because you are really good. I, I, I'm okay. I, I, I'm only decent because I, it's like anything, consistency. Like if you stay doing something long enough, you're going to get okay at it. You know? <laughs> but never thoughts of going pro? No, I did. I think college derailed that. that you know, okay. like I wanted to. That was part of my dream of moving to California. Yeah. But then college, then when I went to college and that got derailed, I was like, all right, this is cooler. And... This, this has more potential than, than going pro. Right, right. And it's more of a reality. And then once I moved to California, I realized that I'm not as good as I think I was. Yeah, because California is on another level. It's insane. When I moved out here and, started, and I went to the, you know, the pier to go skating with everybody, I was like, wow, these kids are good. <laughs> right. Because, Jeff, you have to think, too. I'm from a small island. I'm from uh-huh. Key West, Florida, mm-hmm. and I was the only skateboarder in my town. So you thought you were the shit. I thought I was the shit. Because <laughs> I was watching videos and trying to like piece it together, you know? Uh-huh. And so I thought I was really good. Yeah. Just because I had no one else to bit, to, right. you know? Right. And then Location when I moved, mean, means a lot, doesn't it? Like, where, like, your reference points of who else you're competing with. In everything, I think, too. Yeah, Even yeah. in, like, the stuff that you and I do, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's who you know. And, yeah, yeah. And you, you get better by being around better people. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, in art and skateboarding and business, right? Right. It sounds like skateboarding was the driving force in a lot of things Benny was able to achieve in his life. Even down to the very idea of being able to land certain tricks. From where Benny came from, he thought he was the shit. Best in class. But then he changed environments and soon realized a whole new level of competition. And even though in skateboarding, there isn't a competition per se, it's the personal bar of excellence that's in his mind. Now, I'm no pro skater, But the takeaway I get from this is when he said, you get better being around better people. 
So whether it's skating, business, or just life in general, surround yourself with people you admire and respect and be weary when you find yourself surrounded by people who drag you down or make you feel like shit. Remember, excellence is highly contagious, but so is bullshit. Okay, so um, at this time that you have a job, are you already known as Benny Gold? Uh, a little bit. So the job was starting to get really tedious to me. Mm -hmm. Like I was up to like one in the morning doing client presentations and my boss was yelling at me in the morning when I showed up a little late. Yeah. You know, and, and he would come by my desk and yell at me about, you know, if he didn't like what I was working on, he's like, he would take the papers and shove them and rattle them in my, in my face going, this is not how we win awards around here. Mm. And I was like... It's like a high-pressure job. It was pressure. Yeah. And all I really wanted to do was go skateboarding and hang out. Because I was tw 20s, you know? I wanted to, like, yeah. go get laid and go skateboarding. And, <laughs> and, and I just moved to, like, San Francisco. I'm like... And, and I meet, you know, all my friends out here, and they're all, like, just skateboarding and partying. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, I was the only one that went to college. Yeah. And with a real job. Right. You know, and so... So, that, so I started making a sticker. Uh-huh. During... And I'd wait till the boss left and I'd run it through the coffee machine mm -hmm. on sticker paper mm -hmm. and I'd cut them out because I, I was, so I didn't want just a, a regular sticker, like I wanted like die cut, but I yeah. couldn't afford a die cut. Mm -hmm. So I made like a little gray key line and cut it out. Right. And I post them around town and they said stay gold on it. They said stay gold. Yeah. Okay. And there was a reminder to myself to not lose sight of why I moved to California and why I got into art mm -hmm. and the reason why I was here. It was like, just a reminder. Yeah. Because you were going through so much at the job that like you needed some little like Reminder, right? Yeah, I needed something that was mine. Yeah, yeah. You know, like something I could be creative on without my boss telling me that's not how you win awards. But I would assume, as compared to all your friends that are out there skating, like you had money. Oh, I was, I was loaded to them. They thought I was, they thought I was rich. You're buying all the beers, right? Oh, dude, I, I was the only guy who had my own own apartment. Like I had a my studio, you know, uh -huh. and I didn't live with anybody. And you go to like my friend's house down the street, the guy I was telling you from Supreme. They had ten people all in, all in. <laughs> Like little cots, you right. know, like a triage. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'd walk in and like step over things and right. like sit there, like, "Oh, can we go skating? It's mad gross in here," you know. Yeah, like, yeah. hey, talk like talk about that a little bit more because I think there's this term I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called like velvet handcuffs. Okay, where it's like you had that struggle between full freedom mm -hmm. and working for the man. Yes, but you got money for it. And with money comes a nice apartment and a clean bathroom and all these like niceties. And then you envy your friend's freedom, but then when you go to their crib, you're like, this is a squalor, I can't live like this, right? But those are the velvet handcuffs. Like they feel so good, these velvet handcuffs, but they are handcuffs, right? Like how did you reconcile with that back then? Were you ever like, man, I'm gonna quit this freaking job and like. Every day. Yeah. I was like, but I, but I think I invested so much into it, like I really loved art and design, that mm -hmm. I didn't want to like, I know I didn't want to do it for, for anybody else, I wanted to do it for myself. Yeah. And so, and I really liked having my own apartment, and I liked being able to take girls out on dates. Yeah. You know, and mm -hmm. I liked... Showering. Showering, <laughs> I, like, I like the whole thing about right, it. Right, the whole thing. Shampoo, you know? soap, so, deodorant, yeah. yeah, I could have buy everything. <laughs> I like not having to live off a burrito every day, you know? <laughs> right, like, cut it into like fours. Uh, Dude, those guys would cut it, they'd buy a burrito and they'd cut it in half and eat half for lunch, half for dinner. Yeah. And I'd be like, I have a Corona with my burrito, I have, you know, extra guac, I know it's more money. They're like, damn, we just got extra guac, yeah. yo. Um, back then, just, to, what year is this? 98. Okay, so back then, just 
so that we have a frame of reference. Like, how much does a designer get paid? <laughs> In fact, my starting job was $32,000 a year. Okay. You know? And, but to, and that was money. That like, was money. 32000 compared to your friends was like, you're balling. I was balling. That's amazing, right? Yeah, it was huge. I had a huge, you know, like my apartment was, you know, it's still, <laughs> to think about it, that's crazy. Because yeah. now 32000 is... Street, like you could live on the street. <laughs> no, you, you know, you could work the store and make more than that now. Yeah, it's crazy. But my friends made fun of me too, though, because a lot of them were bartenders and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and they were making just as much. Some of them, yeah, you know, but they're and they would make fun of me, like, oh, college boy, you make, you know, I'm making just as much as you, but mm-hmm. and partying and all that stuff. But, but there, I saw that there's a ceiling there too, yeah, because they're never going to make more than they're making. It at that moment right there's no ladder there's no ladder and it's also rough living yes right like bartending waiting tables it's like it's a rough way to make a living rough way they didn't have health insurance or any of that stuff either yeah so okay so you uh you make the sticker you're sticking it around Mm -hmm. and um your government name is not benny gold no so i guess people start coining you as benny gold because of the sticker yeah okay yeah so they start calling me benny gold and and people start associating me with a sticker and asking me for the stickers Uh uh-huh and, and I started giving it out to friends and, you know, just putting it out. And then some kids, like, some people were like, hey, you should make a T-shirt of that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right. So I went, I went to, like, the art supply store and bought a small s- single screen. Yeah. Burned the screen, print, you know, print them in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I started giving it out to friends. Stay gold still. Yeah, same design, that glider plane. Oh, with the plane? Yeah, with the plane. Oh, even the original sticker was already the paper plane. No, yeah, the paper plane and glider plane were, like, one and two. Oh, gotcha. The glider plane. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you see, this sounds so much like my story. It's like almost the same. So you make one t-shirt without, like, you're not like, I'm going to be a fashion designer. No. That was the last thing I'm going <laughs> Yeah, right. Totally. Like, I'm like this dirty skateboarder. I could care less about, you know, I just like. A brand. Yeah. And I've been dressing the same since I'm like 10 years old anyway. So it's yeah, like. Yeah. Okay. So what do you do with the t-shirts that you're making? I give them out. I give them out to my friends. Uh-huh. And the biggest one was I went to this, this like, under. SF was so cool at those t- in the time. There was like, there was an abandoned movie theater and some there was this people squatting and they threw a party. Mm-hmm. And I go in there into the party wearing the shirt, and and Twist is there. The le- Twist is a legendary graffiti artist. Yeah, Barry McGee. Yep. Who's now like in galleries. Who's now Barry McGee? He's now Barry McGee. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's no longer Twist. Yeah, yeah. Don't call me Twist. <laughs> but he came up to my friend that was wearing the shirt and said, "Yo, I really like that shirt." Barry McGee. Yeah. And, I'll, and my friend ran over to me and said, yo, Barry likes, <laughs> likes the shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Totally. No, that's like a legend saying like, yo, good job. He loved it. I guess maybe he saw the sticker. I don't know. Yeah. But I was like, oh, word, I have a shirt for you. Uh-huh. You know, because I had everything with me. Yeah. Well, always. Yeah. Gave him a shirt. And then that was the moment where I was like, I could, this, this could be cool. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. So, I, of course, I went home and made a couple more. Okay. <laughs> but, so, this is like 2000-ish, right? Early yeah, this, 2000s. This is early 2000s from now. You're not totally naive to the fact that someone with skate roots and a sticker and a t-shirt could potentially evolve into something bigger, right? It's not like it was a foreign idea. I mean, like, you must have known of Stussy and, like... Oh, I knew Stussy. I've yeah. I mean, who else was, who else was already doing it, like, that you can remember back then? Probably just... Stussy was the only reference that I had that was outside of skateboarding. Was Huff a brand yet? Huff was not a brand yet. Okay, Huff was not born yet. Huff was not Supreme born. was, but not in the SF yet, right? Like, no. not at that level. But I knew of it just from visiting New York from yeah. my family and stuff. But, yeah. 
But I've, yeah, I think Stussy was the only thing that I could really think of back then. Yeah, was but Stussy was so big, I can't imagine you would think like, yeah, this thing will turn into Stussy one day. No. <laughs> I still wish, I would, still, I would love it if it did still. <laughs> right, right. But no, I didn't think of it as a brand, because you got to think too, I was working as a professional designer in these design firms, and so I was looking at big budget stuff, like, you know, big, big, big brands, big businesses, like, yeah. you know, so what I was doing was just like a little side thing, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And I didn't really think it could turn any, into anything until I met Huff. Okay. And he, Keith, as in Keith Huff. Keith Huff, yeah. Okay. And the only reason I met him is because he opened his store around the corner from my house. Uh-huh. And then my friend Kyle from Supreme yeah. was their second employee ever or something. Okay. But did you know of Keith Huffnagel already? Of course. Yeah. I wanted to be Keith growing up. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, like... Right. Like, he was my one of my favorite skateboarders. Yeah. And so he opened the store, and I was like, wow, Keith Huffnagel's opened the store around the corner. Uh-huh. I walked down there, check out the opening. He didn't have a logo for a shop yet. Mm-hmm. And then Kyle introduced me, because me and Kyle are, like, best friends. And then he's like, hey, let's go skating this weekend together. And I was like, all right. And so him, me, Kyle, and Keith went skating, and we're, and we're sitting down skating, and, he, and Keith was complaining about... He can't find a logo for a shop. Yeah. And, you know, I don't tell him that what I do at all yet. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting there, like, just listening and just being so excited to, like, skate with my, my favorite pro, you know? And Kyle's like, hey, Benny does logos. And Keith looked at him at me. He's like, you do logos? I'm like, yeah, I could do a logo. Uh-huh. And then he's like, all right, so let me sh- show me what you got. Uh-huh. So I went home, worked on it all night, you know? <laughs> this is awesome. Showed up the next day. Yeah. With three options. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. Did he pick one of those? He picked one. Because he was complaining, because he, he, he asked all the guys from every skate company that he skated for to uh-huh. do a logo for him, including Stussy, mm-hmm. and he didn't like any logos that they gave him. Mm-hmm. And then, I knew, for some reason, I knew that this was like my shot. Yeah. You know, like out of like the corporate design world into like the world that I really love and felt connected to. Right, right. These are the moments these are the moments I relish when I talk to entrepreneurs. It's that crossroads moment. You find yourself somehow face-to-face with a mentor, an idol, a hero, whatever you want to call him or her. Someone who you know can change your life. And normally, you just be happy to sit there and be starstruck. But then this moment becomes a possible opportunity. In all my years, I've never seen an opportunity walk in and grab someone off the couch. You can almost hear Benny's heart rate increase. Like his hero is friggin' asking for a graphic designer. He is a graphic designer. Should he raise his hand? Or is this just too good to be true? Thankfully for Benny, his friend speaks up for him and the rest is history. Benny ends up designing the Huff logo in less than 24 hours, the logo that is still being used till this day. But that following 24 hours could have gone so different. It could have been him beating himself up for not saying something and him never working with his hero and mentor. Unfortunately, to be successful, it takes more than being good at what you do. Trust me, I wish it weren't that way. I wish everyone who was good at their job becomes rich, famous, and successful. But it's just not enough. You also need to network, put yourself in the proximity of those circles that you want to travel in. So here's some advice. Keep a close lookout for these moments. Train yourself to be able to recognize if this is a moment that's about to turn into an opportunity. Then, be ready to pounce on it like there's no tomorrow.
and he just picked one without even like an edit. Without an edit. Wow. It was, was him it and his the, wife. Was it the linear one? Yeah, it was the etch, based on the etch sketch. Because the only the only thing he gave me was, I want something linear and mm. cool. You know, straight That's lines. The brief. <laughs> yeah, that was the brief. Wow. And I was like, okay, cool. And I went home and I started like writing. I wrote down linear and cool like on the top of the page. Mm-hmm. And then I started like, you know, word word association. Like, you know, what's linear? And I wrote yeah. like, you know, lines, whatever, streets, and what's cool. And then I got to like. Etch a sketch somehow because you can only make linear lines. Yeah. And I was like, cool. Etch a sketches are cool. Uh huh. Sick. Yeah. And I, and I like, how would I make one? How would I make a logo on an etch a sketch? Wow. And that was that. How long was the timing from when you met him at the store to you skating with him to the logo? Oh, this probably happened within a couple weeks or less than a month for yeah. sure. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, you talk about like turning points in a life, right? Oh, it was huge. I, and I was, I knew, I knew it was big for me. Like you were cognizant of it. Yes. Even when you were, cause I would imagine even when you knew that you were about to go skating with him, here's like a guy that you looked up to skating. Yeah. And now you get to skate. It's kind of like, oh yeah, you want to shoot hoops with Michael Jordan? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so that even just skating with him was probably a little bit like, oh shit, this oh, is, it was huge for me. Yeah. <laughs> cause he, cause you got to think too, like I moved here to, to be around that type of stuff. Yeah. But he was living in LA at the time, mm-hmm. and then just recently moved up here. So yeah. he wasn't like part of my like the people people I saw every day. Right, and then that hookup of like Benny does logos. Yeah, that was all it was. Yeah, and he was like, and I was like, yeah, I could do a logo. <laughs> I I just want to imagine like your heart rate when <laughs> Kyle goes, Benny does logos. You're probably like, yes, I do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think you had a Fitbit on right there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> or an Apple Watch smoking. <laughs> That's awesome. So at that time, you still have the day job at the design firm? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was still working full time. And by that time, yeah, I did the logo. I mean, I'm not sure of all the whole like sequence of things. Yeah. But I took, I think I started doing it. And then he started help, hooking me up with doing work for like in the skate industry and skate companies and that kind of stuff. Keith did. Yeah. Mostly for his sponsors, I would assume. For his sponsors. Like I started designing board graphics for him, uh-huh. shoes for him. For, for DVS and that yeah. type of stuff. And then, and so then I was like, left my design job and took over like a very corporate design job because I wanted something more lax. So you went more corporate yes. to get more lax? Yeah, I went in-house. Okay. Instead of being like at a design firm, I went, yeah. I went in-house for the body shop. Gotcha. Designing like soap packaging. and. Oh, the body shop, the cosmetic company. Yeah, because okay. I was like, this will be an easy cush job. Like right. all I have to do is show up. I can leave at five o'clock. Got you. Okay, so the thing, the rationale here is if you work for a design firm, you're like the brand's bitch. You have to do whatever the client says, stay as late as necessary, right? All night. But when you go to the brand side, then you're like the boss, essentially. Well, yeah, or you're in the court, yeah, because you're in the corporate setting. Right. Where everyone, like, five o'clock, the whistle blows, everyone's Everyone's out. gone. Yeah, yeah everyone's no, gone. <laughs> no overtime. Yeah, no. Okay, so that's, that was a smart move that you did. Yeah, looking back, I was just I just needed I just still wanted the security of a paycheck. Yeah. And then the freedom to do my other stuff on the right, side. Right, right. Was Body Shop a client of the design from the no, Okay, no. so you went out and got something totally. I went out and got it, yeah. Okay. I hustled. And then at this time, have you sold a Benny Gold t shirt yet? I, you were making them, but have you like transacted one? Not yet. Okay, so you're still giving them out to your friends. Still giving them out to my friends. And it wasn't I didn't sell one until Keith actually said what are you doing with these shirts you're making? Mm-hmm. I see you're making shirts and stickers, mm-hmm. and I have a store. Put some in the store. Okay. 
And so I said, he placed an order. He, yeah, like, he basically placed unofficially an order. placed yeah. an order. Yeah, he's like, you make shirts, put them in the shop. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I'll make some. I'll, I'll let me print some shirts out. Okay. And I was, and he's like, you can't print them in your house anymore. You have to get them, you know. Yeah. So he hooked me up with, with <laughs> his print. With, well, I knew who his printer was because I was designing his t-shirts for him. Uh-huh. So I was designing his t-shirts, talking to his printer, and so he, he get he like said it's okay for me to print the shirts there too, and he showed me how to like, you know. And then, yeah, I just made the connections. Wow. And then I made a shirt, or, I, or the shirts go in the store, they do decent. And at that time, Streetwear was like, there's probably only five stores in the country. Yeah. It was Huff, DQM, mm-hmm. Goods, Kicks Hawaii, mm-hmm. and what was the one in Chicago? St. Alfred? Alfred's. Yeah. And so those were all five, f- the five stores are so connected. Uh-huh. So all five of those stores said, oh, the guy who's designing your stuff makes t-shirts, I'll take those shirts too. Okay. And so now all of a sudden I went from never selling a shirt to into fi- all the five best stores in the, in the country. Like really fast? Instantly. Instantly? Yeah, all because of, of Keith's cosign. Right, right. Wow, that's massive. That's awesome. And in terms of finances, right, so you get this break, but who's paying the printer for those shirts? Keith was at the time. Okay, so Keith helped you to finance these shirts. Yes. Did you have like a hard deal made or he's just like, I got you on this? No, he's, he's a lot. I think he was so, I think he was a pre, we had a really good work, relationship together because I think he was, he was trying to build what he was doing mm-hmm. and I was so dedicated to it. Mm-hmm. Like I was designing everything. Like yeah. he would call me, I like, he would send me a, a text or a call at whatever in the morning and be like, hey, I need you to, I'm going on tour tomorrow and DVS needs a shoe or whatever and I was like I'll do it no problem mm-hmm. or like hey <laughs> Kicks Hawaii has, has we're doing a collab with Kicks or whatever and it has to go to the printer you know tomorrow I'm like alright mm-hmm. I'll design it yeah or and Van- you were getting paid for each of these projects right yeah and then Keith put me on a retainer okay because he was just throwing so much work at you yeah, and I was like I'll do anything just, let, just, just give it to me I'll do it okay so just to clarify for people who don't know First, he's paying you per project, meaning design a tee, I'll pay you on the tee. Yes. Design a deck, I'll pay you for the deck. Yeah. But eventually, he was giving you so much work that instead of constantly negotiating a price every time, he just said, I'm going to pay you a retainer, which is, I'm going to pay you the same amount every month. Yeah. And I just, I can throw you whatever work and you'll do it. Right. Right. And it's your job to then figure out what that fair number is as the retainer. Yeah, and I gave him like how many projects I could, I could take, but of course, I'm on way over every time. <laughs> you know, yeah. and and I had a full time job at the time. Right, so it was extra money for you. Yeah, so it was extra money, and I was doing freelance at the time too. Yeah. So I was I was designing T shirts for Stussy, Nike, any I was, anybody who wanted anything from me. Yeah. I would do it. Right. Paid or unpaid. Mm-hmm. I just wanted I just I just wanted to do as much work as I possibly can. Yeah, because this is stuff that you were passionate. I was about. passionate about it. Right. Even like the Mash logo came up, and I was like, I'll do it for free. Uh-huh. You know, just because I just was so excited about, you know, doing stuff that was that I cared about. That wasn't like toothpaste packaging for the body <laughs> shop, you yeah. know? But talk a bit about like the the dichotomy of working for the man. Okay. You're getting a check. You have the flexibility now to do the MASH logo, the Stussy logos and stuff, like the shirts yeah. for free. You're doing projects for free. Yeah. But if you didn't have the shitty job, you wouldn't be able to do it for free. And if you went to MASH and said, yo, I need like $2,000, they might've said like, no thanks, we'll get someone to do it for free. So you might've lost that job. So there's like this push-pull 
of like you working for the man getting the check which allowed you to do all this dope shit yes do you think like do you think about that a lot like or back then were you cognizant of like damn I gotta keep doing this day job at the body shop so that I I can do all this work cool work yeah I think so yeah I, I mean my wife hated me at the time we were only dating but yeah. we were living but she hated me because I'd work all day and then come home and work all night on my own stuff for free Mostly. Mostly so, for free. I mean, yeah. I mean, Stussy back then, it was like $300 a t-shirt or, uh -huh. or Nike was like three bills a t-shirt, you yeah. know, and, and that t-shirt would take you like, you know, a week sometimes. Right. So it was practically nothing. Practically nothing. And Not, a lot of these other free jobs. Free jobs. Any yeah. like skate shop or skate brand or anything like right. that. Right. And what was like the Keith Retainer back then? Oh, Keith Retainer was really good for a little while. It started small. Uh -huh. And then as Huff grew, because yeah. Huff started really getting momentum, mm -hmm. and then he, then my, my Retainer kept growing. Okay. And then, I, and then by that time, I was an art director for Mervyn's. Mervyn's is the sporting goods store? No, Mervyn's, <laughs> Mervyn's was... What's Mervyn's? Mervyn's is long gone, but it was a, it was a um, department store. Oh, department store. Yeah, gotcha. owned by Target. Okay. And my check came from Target. Uh-huh. But it was... And I was the art director for them. And, and they would put me on every... They were like, oh, you're doing stuff for Stussy and Nike and all that stuff. We'll put you on all our brands. So I was designing all their like fake surf and skate brands. Gotcha. Like Side Out. Uh -huh. um, I forgot the other names, but it, I did so much Side Out t-shirts and stuff back in the day. You know? Yeah, yeah. Which it was is like beach volleyball shirts. Yeah, it was like it was like anything fake surf. You know? Right, right. And then they were really cool because it got to a point where Keith's retainer started getting bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. And then I'd go to him and 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 I'd, I'd go to them like, hey, I'm thinking about quitting because quitting the Mervyn's, Mervyn's job yeah. as an art director. And they're like, what do you need to stay? And I was like, three days a week, same pay. And they're like, okay. Okay, wait, break that down <laughs> yeah. one more time. You, you were thinking about quitting Mervyn's, yes. and what did they say to you? They said, what do you need to stay? Stay at Huff? No, at Mervyn's. Why stay at Mervyn's? Because, uh, <laughs> Why did they want you to stay at Mervyn's? Oh, Mervyn's offered you. Yeah, Mer Mervyn's gotcha. offered me. Okay, I thought yeah. you meant Keith. No, 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 I wasn't gonna quit Keith. I was like, I would never, okay. I was so like, so, okay. I went to Mervyn's and said, hey, I'm doing, my freelance is really taking off. Yeah. I'm starting to sell T-shirts in these stores. Mm -hmm. Keith has given me a retainer for Huff. Yeah, you know I think my time has come to an end here. I'm uh -huh. gonna like just focus on my own thing. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, 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 we need you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, I only, only want to work three days, so I have two days to work on my own stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're like, all right, no, no problem. And the pay was pay was fine. So every so Wednesday was my Friday, yeah. and I'd like design the presentation and I'd hand it off to the juniors and be like, all right, good luck with the meeting. I'll Sweet. see, I'll see you, I'll see you Monday. That's dope. <laughs> And that was really hard to walk away from at the end. Yeah, because it was so flex just, and... And just easy. Yeah, right, right. But there comes to a point where you, you just have to leave. You yeah. have to cut the cord and, and really follow the stuff you're passionate about. It's ironic. Success is often the thing that kills creativity. I think about this a lot. Consider the stages of someone's drive to succeed. Imagine how hard someone will work if their bank account is nearly zero, or if their home life sucks, or if they're young, single, without a care in the world. It's actually easier to get out there and grind. But if you've tasted any amount of success, you've got a good life now, you can afford to go out for nice dinners, your home starts looking fly, maybe you found someone nice to settle down with. Do you really need to work that hard to keep building? It might be harder to find a reason to hustle, right? But keep in mind, that isn't the way everyone is wired. But I think the majority are. How many people win the lotto and then go into work the next day? Not many. 
But this show isn't for most people. Benny looked at his future and saw a smooth ride, an easy path, good money, with very little challenges. To him, that wasn't interesting, though. He wanted to keep pushing himself, so he did what every great entrepreneur does time and time again. He made the tough decision to forego all that and stay true to himself. What was the what was the thing that triggered you to finally like leave that cushy job? My wife. Okay, so now your wife is saying leave the cushy job. Yeah, because originally she was like, "Stop wasting your time with the, well, the no, skate just, stuff." Right? She just wanted more time together because I, I didn't have any time <laughs> to like work, you know. Because right. she knew that my time was so like limited because I was trying to fit everything in. Yeah. And so she's like, you know, something has to give here. And, okay. And she at the time had a really good job also. Mm-hmm. And so she's like. And I was so afraid to leave because, like, what happens if this all falls apart tomorrow? Yeah. Like, what happens if my phone stops ringing and Stussy stops calling and Nike mm-hmm. doesn't want a T-shirt anymore and Huff decides to, like, close shop or do anything? Because yeah. Huff wasn't distributed yet at all, mm-hmm. you know? It was just everything was coming out of the Huff store. Yeah, he, only, yeah. he, had, he had three stores at a time, uh-huh. all in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and then selling to his five friends' accounts. Yeah. And I was like, what if this ends tomorrow? And I was like, you know, I think being, like, a Jewish kid with a Jewish mother, you worry a lot, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. So I was a little neurosis. A little neurosis. <laughs> and so she said, you know, I believe in you. If it doesn't work out, I still make decent money. We could, you know, it'd be okay. Right. And so she was a catalyst for me to quit. Wow. That finally, she's like, stop talking about it right and just do it. Because I was like, every day, like, I hate going to work. You That's know? awesome. And this isn't even really that much about the Benny Gold brand yet. No. This is just Benny Gold, the designer. Yes. Right. But Benny Gold, the brand, was bubbling a little bit in the shops? It's very small. Yeah. Because I only made, you know, because it was still like a side thing. I was, only, I was still designing all Keith's t-shirts for Hoff. Yeah. You know, every other brand that had me, skate, uh-huh. anything, anything. Yeah, yeah. Everything I get my hands on. Right. So we were touching on it before, but I want to go back to it, is the, can you break down a little bit the deal where like, Huff would help you with the t-shirts production cost. Okay, yeah. Like, how were you figuring out how much money you could pocket from Benny Gold shirts? No, I don't know. I, th- I, <laughs> I, I think going Was to, it a relaxed deal? Like, was it super chill? Yeah, it was, it was mellow. I mean, I think going to art school, they never teach you about business. Yeah. You know, so I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. Uh-huh. And Keith is re- a really good businessman. Yeah. And I think I just trusted him. Okay, you know. so let me ask you this. He paid you for the designs you did. Yes. Did he ever just be like, hey, your shirt sold really well. Here's a check for the shirts that sold? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah, he would take, I think after production, he'd probably get, he'd, he would give me the profits, you know? Uh-huh. And a funny story about all that, too, is my first sales manager for the brand yeah. was Mega. Okay, explain Mega. Well, Mega... Mega started at Huff. Mm-hmm. He was in line at the, at the shoe store waiting for a shoe release every day, every time a release came. Yeah. And finally, they're like, just give this guy a job. He's here all the time, you know? Yeah. So he got a job, and then he did really, really well. Like, he got to a point where the customers thought he owned the store. Uh-huh. And that's the type of employee you want. Right. He was like the face. He was the face. Yeah. And that's the type of employee you want that he cares so much about what you're doing mm-hmm. that people think he owns it. Yeah. Totally. And so then Keith saw that and started giving him more opportunities. And Keith's very good about, you know, giving people opportunities mm-hmm. and seeing the potential of giving opportunities. Mm-hmm. So he made Mega the, the sales manager for Huff. Mm-hmm. And so Huff, he would sell my stuff and Huff at the same time as stores. 
And that's how Mega got the seats for Blackscale because all of a sudden he started getting all the contacts to all these stores around the country. Yeah. You know, he's like, all right, now I know the buyers and, mm-hmm. you know. Did Keith also help, like, originally finance Blackscale? No. Okay. But Blackscale was born out of the Huff store? Out of the Huff store. Because like, so there was a time where Huff store was carrying Benny Gold and Blackscale. Black yes. That's awesome. It was pretty cool. It was such a fun time. Yeah. And those, I mean, today they're very different brands. Were they that different back then too? Was Blackscale like anything like it is today? Well, Blackscale was the same as it is today. Oh, okay. So it was always like the dark version. Always dark version. And it was... And, and you were the gold version. You're yeah, the yeah, gold yeah. yeah I, was the black, <laughs> I was black gold. And, right. But he, Mega would talk to us in the store about the idea for a Blackscale, but he, would, he wouldn't tell us the name of it. Mm-hmm. And he would, and he was like, I'm going to make shirts and they're going to have no name on it and they're going to have no size labels and none of this stuff and me and Keith are like what the fuck are you talking about dude like that's lame how <laughs> that's people, not a brand <laughs> how, how people, and he had, he had he had Roman numerals for sizes or something that, uh-huh. that didn't that didn't correlate to mediums and you know and he, like it wasn't like right. one two or you right. know and I was and we're like what that's stupid yeah you know and then but he he knew what he was doing yeah definitely he really knew what he was doing and I think he was a he was a pivotal point to like bring people from street fashion into high fashion. Mm-hmm. He, yep. he was a catalyst. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so um, you are, you're now doing the freelance work, you're selling a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a time where you have to like cut the cord on Keith Huffnagel? Yeah, he cut the cord on me. Oh, explain what happened. <laughs> well, th- what happened was that his brand and my brand started looking exactly the same. Because they came out of the same head. Yeah, because the same, same hand is designing both. Yeah. And so it got to a point where they're looking the same, and then my attention was very focused on my brand mm-hmm. and my freelance work. Mm-hmm. And Keith was growing, and he really needed someone like who I was years ago fully focused on his brand. Yeah. And so I came back from a vacation or a honeymoon or something like that, and uh-huh. me and Keith had lunch, and he's like, He's like, and, he, and he broke it down to me. He's like, hey, our stuff is starting to look a lot alike. Mm-hmm. He's like, I either need you to like focus on my brand yeah. or focus on your brand. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I appreciate everything you've done, but it's, it's time. it might be time. And he's like, all right, it's time. Yeah. And then I was like super bummed for yeah. a while. Because I was like, because for me, I, Huff was my brand too, mm-hmm. I felt like. But in reality, it's his brand. Yeah. And, and it's, that's all ego. It's like your ego is so in the way. Because mm-hmm. as a designer, when you're designing for other people and stuff, you want it to look the way you want it to look. And, and, and you want it to be your brand when really it's not your brand. Yeah. And sometimes you forget that after like season after season, right? Yeah. yeah. And if I, would, if I could separate my ego out of it and really just design for him and what he needed, mm-hmm. you know, it, it could have been stronger. Mm-hmm. But don't you think that that was... That decision that you made was the only decision you could have possibly done at that point. Yes. Well, the alternative would have been like give up Benny Goldbrand and just be a Huff full-time designer. Yeah, or or just take my ego out of it and be able to design for both in in different ways. Because I was looking at it as as my ego was getting so big because all of a sudden I'm getting calls from everybody and people yeah. are like, I love what you're doing with this and I love that stuff, and so I want to like have my stamp on everything. Mm-hmm. But a designer is re- a a true graph designer is really adaptable, mm-hmm. and you, you could be able, should be able to design for everybody. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I was looking at it as like, I'm an artist, you know? Right. <laughs> like, and I'm so cool. And I would, I would say that at that pivotal lunch, yeah. 
like you didn't know that conversation was coming, right? No, not at all. So you couldn't like really gather your thoughts calmly. Like you had to just make a decision right then and there. Yeah, which is tough. It was tough. Yeah. I mean, but I would say there's only 24 hours in a day. I always say this, right? And it's like between freelance work, Benny Gold work, and Huff work, even if you said to yourself, no, no, Keith, I'll, I'll do a different, you know, I'll have a different head on when I design your stuff. Yeah. There's still only so much you could have possibly done. Yeah. Eventually, maybe six months later, it would have come to a point where like Benny Goldbrand got bigger, Huff got bigger. You just can't cram all of that out of your head. I think it was a decision that was inevitable, basically. I think so, too. Yeah. But it was hard. You know, because it felt like breaking up with a girlfriend. Yeah. Or, like, a mentor or, like, a father figure, Everything, right? Everything, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't, like, beef, right? Like, no. Were, no, we're still, like, you know, great friends. And yeah, yeah. He's still a mentor to me. Yeah. But I was just sad because I, I was really attached to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then to see it, see someone else start working on it and designing for it yeah. and, and the direction changes uh-huh. you know it's like seeing your girlfriend with a new dude you know <laughs> yeah right. and you're like that dude's style's whack right you know like look what is he wearing why are you hanging with him yeah look right. his beard is ungroomed and you know like right you know and so I, so then I was better and then I felt I had to apologize to the new designer later on in life just cause my my ego was hurt you know yeah and so I I treated him poorly you know oh okay you really were like just hurt and like going at it with him? Yeah, not going at it, but just like get little digs and stuff, you mm-hmm. know, and feeding into the whole thing. And, and it must have been really hard for him too to like step in and change the direction of it. Yeah. And, you know, and have people saying, I love the old stuff. Yeah. You're the new incumbent. It's hard to change it. Yeah. Right. And he did a great job. <laughs> but, it's, but, it, but you know what I mean? It's like. Yeah. No, it's good that uh, you can now sort of like reconcile with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, were you taking digs at him publicly or just like privately to his face or both? Well, we worked together for a little while. Like there was like a handoff type, yeah, of, you yeah. know, like helping, helping out type of stuff. Yep. You know, and we... And you kind of made it difficult on purpose. And I made it difficult, yeah. Because <laughs> Keith is smart. He brought him in in the interim before uh-huh. we had that conversation. So you knew of him? Oh, and yeah. And he was already a designer? Yeah, he was already a designer because okay. it was getting... Cause because it was growing. Yeah, yeah. And so he needed more help than, right. I, than I was willing to give. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. so, but I, made, I didn't make it easy. Right. <laughs> and how did you handle, because there was also a loss in finance at that point. Like when he said, when you decided to cut the deal, that retainer also went away. Yes, and that's when I started opening the big box stores. Okay. Where stuff that Keith would never touch back then. Got you. Like Keith was like, I'm not going to touch the Zoomies and the PacSuns and, yeah. and all that stuff. And I was just like, Bring it in. Okay, so talk about that because A, that's a decision that a lot of business owners have to make whether to do it or not do it. And you, the decision to do it, talk through like that decision-making process. Okay. My decision to do it was because I lost the revenue with Keith. Mm-hmm. You know, because all of a sudden my retainer's gone. Like mm-hmm. that was my, that was paid my rent, paid my bills, paid everything. And so I was like, this, this was the easiest way to like comp- recoup, that. recoup that. Yeah. Were you worried about the ramifications of it? No. Really? Not back then. Okay, why not? I thought that would have been a thing, like your just, fans saying like, oh, we don't want to see it in that store. Yeah, this is before social media and all that other stuff too, yeah. you know? And I think like we, we weren't set up for direct-to-consumer yet at all. Like mm-hmm. the only way to get your name out there was through these stores. Yeah. And my idea was I just want to get my, my name out there more. Uh-huh. This was my marketing. 
Right. Because I didn't have a marketing budget or any of that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. So I was like, all right, if these stores want it, I'm going to give it to them. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to promote it. It's going to sit next to the Stussies. Yeah. And Huge brands. Yeah, Staples, whoever else. Right. And I was like, this is my marketing. This is the way I, it's, this is the way that it's going to differentiate me from Huff stuff too. Yeah. Because I'll, I'll be able to be my own brand now. Right, right. In hindsight, were you happy with that decision then? Yeah, but my wife was anti. Interesting. Your wife is... Like, you <laughs> can't anti. read her. You can't read her. Can't read her. <laughs> no, you would think she wants the money. She was anti. Wow. So what was her idea? Just grind it out? Yeah, she, her idea was that I stay doing design work. Oh, okay. To get more freelance design work. Do more logos. Right. Because at that point, I was starting to do logos, and logos were, were pretty you know, profitable. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, it, you can make good money doing logos. Mm-hmm. And when your name is starting to get bigger and bigger, yeah. so more people are starting to come for you to do logos. Right. Like, I did the High Snobody logo at the time. You did the High Snobody logo. Yeah. The, the crown. The crown, the H crown. They still use that to this day? Yeah. And I had, and it's funny because... This is funny because it's on Hypebeast Radio, uh-huh. but Hypebeast came That's to fine. me to, to, to design the Hypebeast logo at the same time, Yeah. and High Snobiety came to me at the same time. Uh-huh. It was right when I lost the retainer, and I was like, how much, what's your budget? Yeah. And Kevin's like, I don't have a budget. Uh-huh. And David's like, this, I have a budget. And I was like, <laughs> I'll go with, I'll go with, with uh, David. The one who has a budget. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I think I might have bet on the, on the wrong horse. No, <laughs> I wouldn't say that, even though this is a Hypebeast show, but I would say that the Hypebeast logo keeps changing. Yes. And the high snob still is the same. It's the same. So you did something right with the, with the longevity of it. Yeah. yeah. But I only did it because I love Dave and I love everything yeah. high, high snob does, but I did it because he, he had money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. What, if you could just timestamp this, like what year is this when you opened up those accounts with the bigger retailers? 2008. Okay. All right. So it's yeah. about eight years ago. Yeah. Okay. So. Oh, no, 10 years ago. Oh yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. I'm, I'm bad at math. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> in the past decade, uh, what has changed and what has evolved? What has happened? Well, what's changed now is they are begging for brands like mine to get in there. Mm-hmm. And they used, they didn't use brands like mine, but, but brands like mine opened the doors to, to get, because they'd come to me mm-hmm. and then, and then I'd call like my friends, like at the hundreds or I'll call you or somebody yeah. and be like, Hey, what do you think of opening these doors? And then, yeah. and, you know, Ben and Bobby say, we're not, we're not ready to open them yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll be like, fuck, it's hard to turn that, that check down, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I'll open them. And then uh-huh. once, you, once one person opens, and then, then the hundreds or you will be like, oh, look, Benny's yeah. in there. Yeah. I'll open them too. Right. And then, then now they have everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's how it is now. Yeah, that's but, how it is now. But you said it's the opposite now. Well, now it's the opposite because our brands like mine have been in there so long, mm-hmm. and I feel like we've our trial period is over. Mm-hmm. You know, like you've been in there, they see that there's only so much growth mm-hmm. with, the, with the brand, mm-hmm. and, and so they need the new brands in there. Yeah, right. I also think that what's happening now is because of social media, mm-hmm. if, if there's a brand that's hot out there, immediately, even the mall stores want that hottest brand right, right away. You know, and yeah, so it's kind of the same thing. They just want like the newest, newest thing. Right. Yeah. And then our brands are kind of like, not forgotten about, but they know how they perform. So they, they're only investing so much money into them. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, you're, get, you're getting in the back of the dusty, you know, you're getting to the back of the store now. Yeah. So my idea for having them, using them as marketing uh-huh. doesn't work anymore. 
So are you starting to pull out of these stores now? Yeah. You are you are deliberately saying I don't want to sell to these stores. Some of them. Yeah, I'm and trying. Some of them are just going out of business. And, on and their some own. are going to, and <laughs> so, and some are some are orders are just shrinking enough yeah. that it's not even worth it anymore. Right, right. And then so is the alternative your own stores. Yes. Okay. And the alternative is direct and and realizing what's important for me with the brand again. Mm-hmm. And that's why I put my office back in the store. Yeah. Because I really wanted to like see the excitement about it again. Yeah, because you had expanded from like let's talk a little bit about the operations. So you go back you quit Huff or yeah. there was a separation yeah. then you started opening the to the bigger boxes did you have to add team members to the Benny Gold company at that point oh yeah yeah okay so how what was the maximum size of the Benny Gold company we're at like 15 people okay so you had a space for the 15 people yeah you had a warehouse space yeah warehouse yeah space design, store yeah. design right. I had designers under me sales manager mm-hmm. brand manager mm-hmm Shippers. Production people? Production people. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah, it was the whole thing. And the thing is, because you, you build all this, all this to grow. Right. You know, so, because you see the bigger box doors, numbers coming in. Yeah. And so you, you know, create the space to grow with them. Right. And then when, when those big box door numbers start shrinking. Yeah. Because you're not the hot new brand anymore. Mm-hmm. Then you start sh- shrinking too. Yeah. So you had to get rid of people. Yeah, to get rid of people. So fast forward to today, how many people is the Benny Gold team now? The Benigold team now with the store mm-hmm. is six. Okay. All right. So you went from 15 to six. Yeah. But do you feel more comfortable at this level now? I'm working on it. It's, it we're, we're definitely in a transition period. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm doing most, I'm, I'm doing all the work again, mm-hmm. all the design work. Yeah. You know, and, and taking it all on again, which I really enjoy. Right. You know, because this is what the stuff that I fell in love with the brand about. Mm-hmm. And I don't really need, you know, brand managers and yeah. production people and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it feels, I really like the direction of the brand and I'm changing the perception of it now. Yeah. And going to more of a premium brand. The only reason my price points and everything were lower was to compete in those stores. Right. But now you can charge more. But that takes a while to like creep up, yes, right? Yes, you have to slowly do it. Yeah, yeah. And you were saying at one point you had your office in your store yes. and then it separated where you had like a separate office and a separate store. Yeah, because all of a sudden you're getting these huge orders from. Yeah, you know, that you have to ship out. Ship out. Yeah. And not just big box stores. I was also in like hundreds of stores around the country, mm-hmm. you know, and so all of a sudden all the orders getting packed and shipped would, would shut my store down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. For, for like days mm-hmm. when I would pack and ship and I was like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. Like this is the most expensive warehouse space I could ever had. Ever right, have. right. So I, get, so I rented a warehouse around the corner. Uh-huh. And then now you're back, your office is back in the store again. In the store. I still have a warehouse downtown. Mm-hmm. That you're getting rid of. Yes. Right. And you like it now that you're back in the retail store? I love it. Yeah. I love so I used that. to have it too. Like Reed Space used to be in the, or Staple used to be in the back of Reed Space. Yes. And it's, there's something about being right on the customer level. You know? I think like, it, it's like an analogy where like, you know, there's the corporate office, you're on the 50th floor, a corner room, but the people that you're selling and servicing are on the streets. Right. And you're like, you're physically far away, but you're also like mentally disconnected from them. And now you're sitting, I mean, not even 10 feet away from the customers, yeah. right? And so you're physically closer, but you're also like 
spiritually, mentally closer to your product than your customers, right? Yeah. You feel the same exact way? Oh, I feel so much more connected to it. Yeah. And imagine as a customer, like you're coming in and you get to see the people behind the brand. Like yeah. imagine if, if you got to see the owner of, Stu- of Sean Stussy or something when mm-hmm. you're a kid into Stussy or, yeah. or whatever you're into as a kid. Right. You know, see the guy like yeah. making it, you it would have blown my mind. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, it got me more excited about the brand. Right. And so seeing those people come in and being excited to see me and talk about brand building and clothing and the community behind it gets me really excited and energized again. One of the many lessons that an entrepreneur will learn is related to the ego. And Benny has taken all of his life experiences and successfully abandoned his ego to work on now reinventing the brand. More often than not, an entrepreneur cannot or will not make the necessary changes to heal what is ailing their business. It's too difficult to have a healthy perspective if you're blinded by the ego. But Benny is committed to finding out what the future of his brand is, even if that means putting his office just 10 feet from the cash register. He wants to be right on the pulse of his operations, and he believes it will reconnect him to why he started his business in the first place. He's also not above condensing the operations. Sometimes one step back can lead to two steps forward. This thinking is admirable and very rare. It goes hand in hand with not taking the easy way out and chasing the corporate check. Benny is committed and he has the right mindset and I'm looking forward to see what he can do with this new approach. He's already inspired a whole generation of creatives once. I'm willing to bet he can do it again. How do you feel like not just about your brand but where like the whole street and skate culture, and you don't have to combine it, you could separate it if you want, but I sort of see it as like just oh, this amalgamation. Yeah, so like, how do you see it now, 10 years in? I see that, I th- the problem is with people like me opening up all these big box doors and letting everybody else into these big box doors, it got really saturated. Mm-hmm. And now, all these big box stores and, and mall brands have their own brands. Mm-hmm. You know, all these like... In-house brands. In-house fake brands. Yeah. Based on the stuff that we do. Mm-hmm. And so now I th- for us to get excited, to, for us to be excited about what we do again is bring it back to the roots of it all. Yeah. And have the customer interaction mm-hmm. and us making the stuff again for, just for making it. Right. Do you think that has to do with scarcity? Is it about the quantities that you're making? Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to create the scarcity for the brand again. Okay. Because at one point, everything I made sold out. Uh-huh. And lines and uh-huh. that kind of stuff. And then once you open these big box doors in retail, mm-hmm. the scarcity goes away. Yeah. Okay, so now I'm gonna play devil's advocate. If yes. your brand is based on scarcity, yeah. how do you make lots of money from that? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Okay. <laughs> That's my issue. Yeah. Because I'm used to the big checks coming in. Uh-huh. So my, my biggest issue right now is, is cash flow and pay, paying for my production. Uh-huh. Because before you produce the stuff, you know, and then you, you, you know you have a big, a big checks coming in because as yeah. soon as you produce it, you ship it yep. to all these stores and everybody else and then the money comes in, you can pay your production. Mm-hmm. But without those checks coming in, mm-hmm. you know, because now I still, I still do wholesale, but it's yeah. on a smaller level. Right. So the checks are a lot smaller. So mm-hmm. now I have to slowly sell the product through my store. And individually to people, individually. which is not a big check. It's trickling checks. Trickling, $100 here, $50 there. Right. And so it's harder to pay your production bills. Mm-hmm. Is everything you do made in America? No. 
Okay, so you're making in Asia. Yeah, I've been making in Asia for a while now. Okay. Do you have to go to Asia often? No. Okay. Asia's easy. Yeah. Asia's... The, the big myth with production mm-hmm. or making stuff is the quality and everything. It's so much harder to do it overseas, mm-hmm. but it's so much easier. Yeah. Like, it's full package. Right. You know, like, when I was making everything... In the, I still make a, a bunch of stuff in the States. Mm-hmm. We do a premium collection. It's only available in the store. That's all made in the U.S. with U.S.-made products. But the stuff we make overseas is so much easier. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have to, like, count out labels. I don't have to, like, yeah. fu- you know, make sure I have enough buttons to, for the shirts. Yeah. Or, and I don't have to, you know, take the pat- get, talk to the pattern maker, get it graded, mm-hmm. get the, buy the fabric, get it cut. They just know. They just know. Yeah. And they, did, they even make the labels for you and the buttons. Right. How did you find those factories? This goes back to my freelance stuff. Okay. So, back... Back when I was doing freelance, I'll do it for everybody. And I did a lot of work for, for my friends at Publish. Mm-hmm. And then when I was... You were doing freelance design work for Publish? Yeah. Okay. But not Publish the brand. Mm-hmm. Those guys. Those guys. What brand did they have then? Well, they had a Risu. Arisu, yeah, 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 yeah. Arisu. It was yeah. pre-published. Yeah. And then, and then he launched two or three brands before Publish. Uh-huh. One was Thoroughcraft, which I designed the logo for. Uh-huh. One was Rather Gray. Thoroughcraft was a shoe brand, Shoe right? brand. Yeah, yeah. So he, he launched that, and then Rather Gray was a denim brand. Okay. And I think there was a third, too, which I don't remember. But uh-huh. I designed all the logos for all those. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so me... <laughs> and publish hit big. And publish hit big. Yeah. With the jogger. Yeah. So out of all those... I didn't design the publish logo. Uh-huh. But out of all those that, that hit, hit, publish was the one that hit. Yeah, yeah. And then when I outgrew my local production... Mm-hmm. I reached out to Michael, and Michael's like, hey, this is a factory I trust. Yeah. So everything's through connections. Yeah, yeah, right. So a lot of, a lot of young people always ask me, how do you find a factory? The best way is to just ask people you trust, yes. and they'll introduce you, hopefully. Yeah, if right. they like you. Right. <laughs> if you're friends, yeah, you know? Yeah, everything's yeah. friends. Right. Like, I would never have got my start in street or through skateboarding if it wasn't for my friend right, right. that said I could do a logo. Yeah. Just pausing here to punctuate this moment, Benny acknowledges again here that all of this wouldn't be possible without Keith Huffnagel and the opportunities that came from interest in people and genuine friendships. It changed his life and it could probably change yours too. Be real to people. Take an interest in them beyond what they can do for you and your business. Be a friend. Talk about their life outside of work. Chill. Hang out. Don't always be leading with the obvious push to work together. Some of the best business relationships we build over the course of our careers are based on friendship. And those are the ones that are often the most rewarding. So you said um, you're trying to figure that out, the scarcity versus money-making aspect of it, right? Right. What do you suspect the brand and you is going to look like in a few years, like in two years from now or something? It's going to be a more of a direct to consumer brand, mm-hmm. you know. My the, with the way the internet is going too, like the internet now is pay, pay you know, pay to play. Yeah, like you have to advertise, you have to do all that stuff. Yeah. it's not like you just can't make cool stuff and people find out about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you have to acquire new customers. Right. And having a retail store is the easiest way to acquire new customers. A physical retail a physical store. Physical retail store. Okay. Because you're on a because I moved my retail store to a main block. Yeah. This is part of the whole the whole idea of it because uh-huh. before I was on a side street right. and so if you knew you knew and that, mm-hmm. was, that was what was cool about streetwear right. like if you were in the know you're like alright I know when I go to this city I have to go to this, this, this store and it's like 
in the cut somewhere yeah. else, and if I go to that city, I have to go, you know? Right. And so I, have to, I moved my store to the main drag, mm -hmm. where people had never heard of the Benny Gold brand, mm -hmm. or walking by every day. Mm -hmm. And so that's a way for me to acquire new customers. So you're very happy with the decision that you have a brick and mortar store on a main street? Yes. Okay. And the brick and mortar store right now is the strongest thing of what I do. Wow, so retail is not dead. Brick and mortar retail in your business is not dead. It's not dead. I mean, it's not easy. Yeah. But I, re I believe that it, the way retail is going is you have to create an experience. Uh -huh. And the experience is me being here, mm -hmm. the cafe, mm -hmm. talks. Like you have to work a lot harder now for less money. Yeah, <laughs> right. Before and you can just make stuff and it was cool. But that might translate to other people buying your brand on e-com, wholesale business growing again. Yes. Right? Yeah, the whole thing. I think bringing back the magic of what people loved about the brand the first time when I had that first little store and mm -hmm. was only selling a couple accounts, Yeah. you know, and people could come and see me there, mm -hmm. that was what was magical about the brand. Yeah, yeah. And got people talking about it. Right. And other designers coming in like, this guy's a designer, he did it. Mm -hmm. How did you do it? Yeah. You know, and they can pick your brain for a second. Is, does the freelance design thing still happen? It does, but not enough. Because I, I, I think when you turn it down for so many years, people stop, stop calling. Yeah. They assume like, oh, he's got that brand he's doing now. He's doing it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where I think where you were smart, where you kept both going. Yeah. And if I would have listened to my wife, I would have kept both going at the same time. <laughs> but you get so... It's hard. Enticed by, the big, by bigger checks. You're yeah. like, wow. There's big checks on both sides, though. Big, yeah. The but, difficult thing of having two, a design studio and a clothing line, yeah. is people tend to want to keep putting them together. Yes. So even though you have them separated, people think like a, de a design client will be like, oh, we want to make some apparel. You could do that for us, right? Like, no, it's a whole separate <laughs> thing, you know? Um, and then if you do like a, a clothing thing, people will be like, oh, you're a designer. Can't you just design up some logos for us? Like, no, you got to pay the design <laughs> studio. Yeah. So people tend to keep doing that. But I'm, I've gotten very strict about it. I'm just, I almost like lie and I'm just like no you gotta talk to that guy, now. To that guy. <laughs> yeah yeah well I'm sure people come to you and like hire you at, for the design side and like hey let's do a, a collab they mm -hmm. think they think they're hiring you for a collab yes which I have to really separate church and state yes what's happening now though I will say this year even though it's been like 20 some odd years like we're getting a lot of calls now where they don't want a pigeon collab and they don't want clothing they just want the design studio. That's amazing. And I'm shocked. I'm yeah. like, oh, you don't want the pigeon? Cool. Like, <laughs> let's talk, you know? That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. So it's working. I think it's to your point, though. You got to do it and get out there so that people know that, like, oh, that's a design studio or agency, you yeah. know, and they'll do work for hire. And one job leads to another always. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Kids always come and ask me, like, how do you get stuff out there? And I'm mm -hmm. like, just start making stuff and one thing leads to another. Yeah. And same thing with client design work. You do one job, someone talks about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's, you know, you do a good job on one thing and then someone, another one comes your way. Yeah. And then it snowballs. Discuss this one thing uh, I wanted to ask you, because uh, this is a difference between you and I, and I think probably one of the most differentiating factors between you, Benny Gold, putting stickers up back in the day and now yeah. is you have a family. You have a wife and you have two kids, yeah. right? How does having a family change the direction of a passion project? It makes her very real, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, like having a family and having kids in school and activities and money and <laughs> more people dependent on you mm -hmm. makes it real serious. Like you have but to, you're you have still to doing the thing. So I, I, would I would imagine the, there's a lot of people who have the vision of like, you make a sticker, you make shirts, you're having fun. 
they meet somebody, they have kids, and then it's like, all right, forget the fun and games. I got to go clocking at my nine to five and get my 401k and my pension job. Yeah. But you're still doing the Benny Goldbrand even with the family. Yeah, maybe for better or worse sometimes. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, I daydream about stability, stability again yeah. and taking, taking on a, a nine to five job again. Mm-hmm. Like every once in a while, a recruiter will hit me up mm-hmm. and I'm like, just, just to see what's out there, yeah. how much are we talking? Uh-huh. And they'll throw out a salary because now I'm worth more uh-huh. because of what I built with the Benigo brand yeah. than I was when I, when I was working in those jobs. Mm-hmm. And so they'll throw the number out there and I'm like, shit, that's more money than I make now. Uh-huh. You know, that's more than... And you don't have to worry about paying factories and stuff. Any right? of that stuff. That's netting more money than I make now. Yeah. I gross a lot. But after you pay employees and rent and everything. I still barely break even. Yeah. yeah. So what's keeping you from doing that? I still love it. Yeah. You know, like I love the freedom of it. I uh-huh. love being able to do what I want. I love not having people tell me this is not how, not how you win design awards. Mm-hmm. You know? I lo- <laughs> yeah, right. I love being able to be like, fuck it. I just want to put out this silly thing because I like it. Uh-huh. You know, not because it's on brand or any of that stuff. It's just because right. I really like it. Yep. And that's the beauty of streetwear is that there's really no rules. Yeah. And you can do anything you want. Right. And I think that's what attracted me to it from the corporate design world that I was in. Mm-hmm. And there were so many rules. Like, like on the soap, soap labels, like, the, the, you know, the weight had to be a certain point size. Uh-huh. You know, the ingredients had to be a certain point size. Yeah. And with streetwear, there's no rules. Right. You could do anything. Yeah. And I love when people like reach out to me on my direct messages and about, I don't know if that's on brand, the thing you posted or something, you know, I'm like, I, I can post anything I want. It's, it's, there's no rules, right. you know, like yeah. who because cares? it came out of your brain, it's on brand. It's on brand. They're like, I don't think what, it, you know, if, if a hot girl wears a shirt of mine with no pants on or whatever, mm-hmm. and I repost it, people are like, I don't know if that's cool. It's like, that's the beauty of streetwear is that everything it's, there's no rules. I could do, yeah. anything, I could do anything I want. Right. And I think that's what holds me back from getting a nine to five job again. Yeah. Is the rules and the structure of it all. It's that sidetrack that you talked about though. So, <laughs> you're still on the sidetrack. I'm still on the sidetrack. <laughs> right. You know, and I, I think looking back, I probably should have been more like you and keeping both going at the same time, mm. the design business and the brand. Mm-hmm. But I got sidetracked, you mm. know, like the brand was so enticing because it's your brand. And, and my brand is different too than, every, than everyone else's brand. Because when I started it, there was no namesake brands. Yeah, not in streetwear. Not in streetwear. Right. It was only it was it was only looked upon for like high fashion. Yeah. And when hypebeast and all that stuff started to blow up and started posting my stuff, all the early comments were like, "Who does he think he is to put his name on a shirt?" Mm. With Tommy Hilfiger. Yeah, like, like he's Ralph. no yeah. Right. He's no Ralph Lauren. Yeah, because if you think about it in streetwear, there's like Huff, but it's not. The Keith Huffnagel brand. Keith it's, not, it's not the Bobby Hundred brand. No, it's, not it's not the Jeff Staple brand. No, yeah. you're Staple and he's right. Hundreds and yeah. Right, right. But it was the Benny Gold brand. It's Benny Gold brand. And yeah. People thought it was, and then people were like, who would wear some dude's name on their on them? Uh huh. You know, but I'm like, when you think of Ralph, my idea was back then was like, if you think of Ralph Lauren and all that, you don't even think of the actual guy named Ralph. Right. You know, it's just a brand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now within streetwear, there's Virgil's and there's. Yeah. All these other designer names that people actually, yep. the Herons and you know? Yeah, yeah. And now it's common. Right. It took streetwear like that 20 years to develop, I think. Develop it. Yeah. yeah. But when I first did it, everyone thought I was crazy. Right. 
Cool. Do you have um, any last words that you want to say to like, you know, people who ask you for advice on like starting a brand? If someone said like, I want to get into streetwear right now and start a brand, what advice would you give that kid? <laughs> Just come and stay away. I mean, seeing where streetwear is now, it's definitely not what it was when I first started, mm-hmm. but it's still awesome. Yeah. It's still a lot of fun. I still get to meet great people like mm-hmm. you and Bobby and Keith mm-hmm. and be inspired every day about it. But my advice to them, if, if you want to start something, start it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I started with it with literally just a sticker. Mm-hmm. Literally. You know? Not even hand, like you printed it at your work. Yeah. Like, and like you it wasn't it a real sticker. It wasn't even a real sticker. No, it, like it rained and it was gone. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you, you know, started it that way. Started that way. So I, you really never know where a personal project will take you. Mm-hmm. And you never know where anything will take you unless you start. Yep. Because you could, I have people that come in, because I do office hours in the store. Mm-hmm. Every Thursday I make myself available. Mm-hmm. You know, so people come and pick my brand and talk to me about it. And people come in here so afraid to start. Mm. They want to like get their trademarks together first. Yeah. They want to have a incorporated. Mm-hmm. They want to have a bank, a separate bank account. Yeah. They want all this stuff. And I'm like, what have you made yet? And they right. haven't made anything. Right. So I'm like, why waste your time if you haven't even made anything yet? Yeah. Yeah, you're not opening like a stock brokerage firm, like just freaking start the t-shirts and just get out there. Just start it. Just, yeah. yeah. Just make it. Yeah. That's all I care. That's all I care about. And I'm like, and I tell people that's all you should care about. Right. Is making the stuff. I think a lot of young people when they're starting a brand now and because we didn't have social media. So now when they see brands that they admire, they see all of this glitz and glamour and like establishment. Yeah. So they're like, when I start a brand, I need to have all of that. Right. But you actually don't like Virgil, didn't start with like trademarking and stuff. He just went out and was like bootlegging shirts. Yeah. Yeah. Same with you and me. We started just yeah. making stuff. But I think Instagram and social media kind of fucks people up. Like yeah. their perception yeah. of like how you have to be. And they see us on social media like you and me talking or uh-huh. you, me and you or anybody else talking and they're like, I need to do this to get, you know, like it looks glamorous. Yeah. So they want to know everybody first and know, you know, and, and, and drive the fancy cars and know everybody and yeah. be at the right parties and all that. Right, but it, it's not, it takes a lot of developmental steps to get there. Because there was years where, we, where me and you never met and we were just making stuff. You know? <laughs> exactly, yeah. And unfortunately, Instagram doesn't cover that section of our life. No. <laughs> well, cool. All right, thanks a lot for sharing, man. That was dope. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's fun yeah. to tell the story. Yeah, cool. Thanks, man. No problem. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode with the one and only Benny Gold. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I personally use Anchor FM. Also, give us a five-star rating and leave a comment. Tell us what you think of the show. It definitely helps us a lot. You can also reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Staple. And we occasionally answer listener questions on the show. So if you have a question, you can email it in to questions at businessofhype.com. The Business of Hype is created in collaboration with Bright Young Things. You can check them out at byt.nyc. Our director is Daniel Novetta. Our audio engineer is David Rogers Berry. And our intern is Sydney Puckampora. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hype Radio.